This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for Emergence News on Plains FM 96.9, citizen-made radio. Hello and welcome to Emergence News. Today we're going to discuss a wide range of topics, but with the basis being Universal Declaration of Human Rights, under the theme of as it is and as it could be. And we're going to look at it through the lens of Maitreya's teachings and also some of the things that Benjamin Krem and some of the ideas that he's talked about. But before we get into that, let's talk about who we are. We're a global network of co-workers involved in introducing to humanity the story of the avatar for this age and his emergence into the affairs of everyday humanity. His name is Maitreya and he is the Lord of Love. So that's Ray 2. Peter, why is this ray so important to humanity? Well, our whole solar system is ray two, actually, and uh, any of the other rays are actually sub-rays of the ray two, which is the major one for the solar system. So you might say um, the Lord of the World, Senate Kamara, is ray two. The Christ Maitreya is ray two as well. Ray two being love and love wisdom. wisdom. Yes, yes, this is right. Mm. Okay, so it is important, and he is the master of love. Mm. Okay, Shafia, nice to have you in the studio as well. Thank you. As I plough through my intro. Okay, let's have a little bit of a check-up about this Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I'm going to kick it off with, I wikied it, I went to Wikipedia, and at my age, that is a major, major coup <laughs> for me to leap into technology. I've even got it on my phone, that's how cool I am. Okay. <laughs> Universal Declaration of Human Rights is an international document adopted by the United Nations General Assembly that enshrines the rights and freedoms of all human beings. It was accepted by the General Assembly as Resolution 217 in December 1948 in Paris, France. There was only 58 members of the United Nations at that time. I'm guessing planet Earth's growing some more countries or we've got 195 now. How did we start with 150, with what, just only 58? I don't know. Anyway, 48 voted in favour, none against, eight abstained and we won't talk about who they were and two did not vote. We won't go there either. Okay, so we talk about this universal declaration of human rights. It's a foundational text in the history of human and civil rights and it consists of 30 articles detailing an individual's basic rights and fundamental freedoms, affirming their universal character as inherent, inalienable, and applicable to all human beings. One of the nice little things that it talks about is it commits nations to recognise all humans as being born free and equal in dignity and rights, regardless of nationality, place of residence, gender, 
national or ethnic origin, colour, religion, language, or any other status. Mm. And isn't this so topical now here in our brave little country floating mm-hmm. in that large southern ocean? So anyway, that's kind of where we're starting with. And I know that Shafir and Peter are going to follow up with a few ideas around that. But I delved into Maitreya and Benjamin Krem again. And the, the common theme that comes out from their story is that the links between all human endeavor as spiritual endeavor. So as we treat each other individually or on a national global level, that is an expression of our spiritual life. It is an expression, firstly, of our point of evolution, and we've talked about how that affects us. And secondly, as our, uh, as our race structure. So our point of evolution and our race structure define how we can operate as souls in incarnation. Cream goes on to talk about our political, economic, and social expressions on this planet must have as their basis the spiritual life. His key phrase is right relationship. And I've kind of made some notes here. Number one, with ourselves as souls in incarnation. Number two, as individuals relating to others. Three, as peoples relating to each other. So on a national global scale. Four, also as humanity relating to the planetary life. So at the basis of all of those relationships, this idea of right relationship sits the spiritual life. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a starting point for those relationships. It recognises all human life as equally valid, as one, as we are one. So, Shafia, how's that working out for humanity at the moment on dear old planet Earth? <laughs> well, you know, it was the year of my birth that it actually happened. And 1948! Just... <laughs> Two amazing so things happened. 73 <laughs> years ago, and gosh, we're so far from it that you wonder. <laughs> but we've still got you. <laughs> still got me, yeah. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights are in a shoebox somewhere, but we've still got you, Sophia. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, was it Marshall that uh, that uh, brought in the Marshall Plan that actually introduced it into the United Nations? Mm. I see his name there. Uh, he was um, the um, one of the major senators. I think he was foreign secretary or something. Right. Mm. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he did such a great job with the uh, Marshall Plan. Yes, yeah. one Which of the got Europe going again, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah so, Shafia, what have you got for us? A little snapshot, please. So, I'm just looking basically more at the Article 25, which is oh. about the right to food, housing, education, and healthcare. Which are my trainers. Priorities. <laughs> Thank you very much. Peter, I don't think you can stand in the shadow of this no, one. No, very, anyway. very difficult one to follow, but um, <laughs> I, I will do my best to do that. But uh, yes, I, I've just uh, had a look at uh, My Trayers Mission Volume 3 and taken some of My Trayers' thoughts and Benjamin Krem's thoughts out of that as well. Well, you and I are going to be on the same page because mm. I went through there today as well. Great. Okay, thanks very much, guys. We'll take a little moment and come back. So, Shafia. Okay, so. Please carry on. Just recently, there's been a new report from Oxfam which says the hunger virus multiplies. And it details that deaths from malnutrition and hunger now outpace COVID 19 fatalities, which is meaning that every minute 
about 11 people die of hunger. That's amazing. It is, isn't it? There has been a six-fold increase in the number of people facing famine-like conditions, more than half a million people since 2020 alone. Among the 155 million people living in a crisis level of food security or worse, two out of three go hungry because their country is in war and conflict. Additionally, tens of millions of people have been pushed into hunger due to economic instability, worsened by the coronavirus pandemic and coupled with the worsening climate crisis. At the same time, there's been a 40% surge in global food prices, the highest rise in a decade. So we've often talked about Maitreya's number one priority is to share and save the world. Mm-hmm. And we've reported this many times before and will continue to do so, no doubt, until we transition off this planet or until Maitreya is finally walking openly among us and asking us to act on this priority himself. He has asked how we can stand by and watch our brothers and sisters die through the lack of food when there is plenty in the world to feed everyone. He calls it a blasphemy. And if we honestly think about it, we must all carry with us an unease and feeling of shame that such grotesque inhumanity is happening all around us. The choice to ignore the hungry in our world is a political choice, not one forced upon us through lack of food. As you were saying, John, Maitreya says it's all about recognising ourselves as one human family and redistributing our resources according to need. Maitreya suggests that to share the world's resources, we need to take an inventory of what each country has in abundance keep what we need for ourselves, and share the excess with the world. What will it take before we demand this of our governments and leaders? We can be grateful to the many who work tirelessly to feed those who suffer hunger or food insecurity. Here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we are a microcosm of what is happening on a global scale. We have many charities who collect and distribute food parcels, and they are saying it's rising every month, every week. We are seeing a food donation facilities in most of our supermarkets, recognising that people do need to donate to them. Community gardens and food forests are springing up everywhere. Community pantries can be seen in many suburbs. The idea of the commons is taking roots, common land and resources available for all. This is coming from the grassroots, ordinary people prepared to organise, act and serve their communities. In the past, as a single mum raising a family on my own and an ex-husband who refused to pay any child support, I've been in a position where I've had to ask for help to buy food for my family. It's a horrible, debilitating feeling. When people are in survival mode, they are unable to positively contribute to society. As souls in incarnation, we are all children of a creator God. It is in our nature to be creative and to contribute. If we look at how it could be, We can imagine that one day when all people are free from the indignity and hardship of food insecurity and have a home to live in, that their creativity will blossom and flourish for the benefit of all. Instead of being labelled beneficiaries, we will live in a world where we are all benefactors, contributing our unique gifts for all to share and enjoy. And Benjamin Quinn reminds us that Redistribution plans are already in place, ready Mm -hmm. to go when the governments of the world give the go-ahead. I suspect this will not happen unless we, the people, demand it. We live on a planet of plenty. We do. It's not a resource issue. It is a will issue. It is. We refuse to share. Yeah. 
As for housing, I was surprised to learn that Aotearoa New Zealand was once a leader in social housing. Did mm. you know that? Yes, I did. No, I didn't know that. And how is it that now we are the seventh most expensive place to live? Free market has been allowed to reign. Mm-hmm. And some of the um, people who talk about this say they, the New Zealand obsession with owning property and seeing it as a passive income investment for retirement is creating this problem as well. Some experts suggest that we as a country provide more long-term security for tenants, more ability to treat rental properties as homes, like, you know, being able to contribute to decorating and have pets and things like that, you know, so that we actually take more ownership of our rental properties Mm -hmm. rather than it being a time of having to... A transient, almost a transient nature. Yeah. And I was looking a little bit into what is being done around the world and, and in, in social housing and unlocking land in the right location is one of the most important things because the major price of housing is land and mm-hmm. we need land that, that's buildable on. And um, so I guess we need to go to the councils and demand that they actually give some over or to the governments or wherever. And start having some intelligence about where we're allowing people to build mm-hmm. yeah. and where we're not. Yeah. So we're still building on farmland. Yes. Yeah, some the, of it very city. productive stuff mm. in Auckland, and yeah. uh, they're talking about turning it into houses. I mm. mean, no, no, it just seems daft <laughs> to me. Well, yes. we're doing it here too, where yeah. some of our close to the city farmland is being um, sold off for, you know, residential housing. Mm. Mm. And the other thing would be to reduce construction costs and permits and also cheaper and faster off-site manufacturing. So you're a builder, Peter. What do you think of that idea? Well, yes, uh, we've certainly um, been practicing. Even when I was working in New Guinea as a young man, um, we used to build uh, our own trusses in the in the workshop and our own uh, stud work and uh, take it out to the job and assembly it. Mm. Uh, you know, it was sort of all done in a very efficient way. I, yes. I think we should start assembling houses the way that we assemble cars. We used to manage yeah. to do a house with a team of three every four weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no, no one today does that in New Zealand, even yeah. with all the factory production that mm-hmm. they use. So mm. you need to be able to go to a housing factory and customise to a degree what you need and have it made in the factory. Yes. So yeah. we're not concerned about weather issues and the wiring's all done and every, the windows are put in and it arrives at your section on a yes. on the back of a truck and mm. it's banged up in, in yes. a matter of days. Mm. And in Britain they did this, you know, after the war with prefabs, That's you know, right. and they lasted for about 30 years, mm. you know. Mm. It was sort of a, a very good transitional housing mm. until... Yes, you know, well, I mean, it doesn't need to be fancy housing. It no. just needs to be basic housing to get people in mm. you know, to start with and then they can uh, gradually buy something better or move up the, the ladder a wee mm. bit or, you know. Yes. There's all sorts of scope for improving your property. But, and I guess, you know, one of the things we're not good at here is warm and dry. No. Uh, our housing is not mm. warm and dry and yeah. our, our building standards are, are low, so we mm. need to address that as well. Yeah. But anyway, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Shafia. Yes. Where are we at now? So we've done... We've done, um, so, well, let me talk about how it could be. So, you know, one of the visions we've been given for future is that um, we don't have any roads, you know, that everything is grown, you know, salads and fruit farms and and all the things. And we have 
um, our central location of, of um, community buildings where we have all our healthcare and our education and our leisure facilities and um, you know in one big building and build your villages and your and your you know your your residential properties around that so that there's no need for being driving you know uh, I think yes you yes. know and then have you know, as we go into the future and we, you know, have these new ways of transport, we'll have airbuses where we can just go anywhere, you mm. know. So it's not a matter of confining us to one place, but actually to, um, you know, creating a situation where we're not polluting our planet. So it's the shape of our metro areas that force us into transport and that's forced us into fossil fuel dependency. Yes. I mean, you know, you know, only have to look at the traffic, you know. And I know that, you know, from living in England, some people sort of commute two hours That's morning awful, and night. Awful. That's four hours, on, you know, commuting. It would be horrific, wouldn't it, to have yeah. to put up with that? Yeah. so yeah. spoiled here. Mm. Yes. So the other um, right is healthcare as a human right. And as it is at the moment with the COVID pandemic highlighting our global vulnerability to infectious viruses, it's also shining a light on our under-resourced health services, our overworked healthcare professionals and our general poor health. We live longer, but we have poorer health generally. Obesity and malnutrition go hand in hand. Food as a commodity has become competitive arena for market forces rather than a nutritional necessity to keep people healthy. Mm. As it could be, imagine a world with no supermarkets. We can give up our lawns, well, those lawns that are just used for show and grow our own healthy organic salads and vegetables. Fruit and nut forests are everywhere providing food free food and then we'd have like the farmer's markets would, mm -hmm. would provide everything else for us, you know. And they would definitely not have um, all those packaged stuffs that are, you know, right. and processed foods that are there that are really just keeping us in bad health, you know. So we would get all our nutrition from our food and we wouldn't have to spend a fortune on vitamins and minerals and the planet wouldn't have to deal with all the excess packaging that we do. I mean, we're, we're living quite a crazy life, really, mm. when you start mm. to really think about it, you know. It only suits commercial endeavour, doesn't it? Yes, mm. it does, yeah. And education, you know, um, uh, I remember a CEO of a Polytech telling me that he went into education because he loved teaching, you know, and with his role as a CEO, he had to become a businessman, mm. you know, and sourcing funding and balancing books. And recently there was a, I, I read a story of an American professor who was sacked after giving a lecture on the apartheid policy of Israel, mm -hmm. you know. And so many institutions are, are financed by special interests, you know, yeah. and um, money means power to influence minds of the young. And it's good to see some educational facilities disengaging themselves from such influence with, driven by people pressure. It's a hopeful sign that we are reclaiming our right to receive an education free from vested interests. As it could be, imagine a world where education is based around the mystery of who we are and what is our purpose on for incarnation on earth. The wonders of the world could be explored, travel would be part of our education, freedom of thought and expression encouraged and received in a compassionate and caring environment. And somewhere where we would learn the life skills needed to live full and happy lives on this challenging but wonderful planet. There's so much potential out there, isn't there? <laughs> I can imagine the children of the future looking back at us at this time and wondering what kind of insanity we were suffering from that allowed such abuses to our world and all its creation. I was recently telling my granddaughter about how I got beaten with a stick when I was her age for some misdemeanour. As someone who has never been smacked, her look of total shock was real and she said, 
he mean they actually hit you? And <laughs> I could imagine the children of the future saying, you mean they actually allowed this to happen and didn't do anything to stop it? <laughs> Hopefully, history will show that we did do something about it. And this was the time when we finally took back the initiative and demanded that our rights as human beings were enshrined in the laws of the land and in the hearts of all people. Thank you, Shafia. And you've covered off Maitreya's uh, four basic necessities. Yes. And they match quite nicely with the declaration of... Um, the Article 25, yeah, yes. the Article 25. So yeah. thank you very much for that. We'll take a break and come back to Peter. This is the Emergence News on Plains FM. For more information, go to shareinternational.org. Peter. Thank you for waiting so long. <laughs> Looking at me. <laughs> while, while Shafir and I had a nice little chat. Yeah. Um, back to you, buddy. What do you Thank got? Thank you. Uh, the United Nations will become strong again. The days of rich, powerful people controlling the United Nations are numbered, said the Lord Maitreya. No longer will profit at the, be the end goal by the factor of this importance. The welfare of the world's people will be the objective and the Declaration of Human Rights will become more than just a script. The future will be modelled on the concept of balancing the environment and energy and so will politics. All those who indulge in creating divisions in life, priorities are finished. I have pulled the plug on that, said the Lord Matreya. The energy there has gone. So this is an interesting concept that um, Maitreya is sort of talking about, This um, the energy that's uh, creating the problems at the moment the will division. be actually withdrawn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, soon the media will open, will be open and reflect the corruption and chaos of the politics and the judiciary. The judiciary cannot be independent of the constitution. It must be part of it probably accountable. And um, my Petraeus' perspective on every facet of human endeavour, he says he uses no coercion, it relies on common sense and his spiritual knowledge. Well, I think that's so true from what we've seen in his um, uh, questions and answers and writings and um, that sort of thing. There's no pressure to do what he says, but he says that um, we will do these things because we can see the sense in them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Common sense. So that veil of illusion that all Eastern philosophy talks about is being lifted. Yes. Yes. So the glamour yes. of yeah. life on planet Earth, the philosophies that have failed. Yes, yes I think we'll just gradually simplify everything. You know, we'll see that you know we've made everything so complex, haven't we? And mm. you know, mm. to see all the different problems that come up. You know. Yeah. And, you know. Yes. Yes. Well, I was looking at some of the. Um, we're talking about the human rights and that sort of thing. And, and one person was asking uh, Benjamin Krem actually about uh, fluoride. Does it have a um, detrimental effect on health? And he says, yes, it does, particularly on the brain. The mass poisoning of everyone is clearly unacceptable. Children's teeth can be protected safely and effectively by homeopathic potencies of fluoride. The proposal for water poisoning should be resisted by mass protests. So he's certainly one for protests where they're needed. Mm -hmm. And he was also talking back in the day about mad cow disease. Of course, it's um, 20 or 30 years ago, isn't it? 
And he said it uh, can be transferred to humans. Um, market forces are the source of mad cow disease, degrading milk with contaminated food and giving injections of artificial chemicals can only lead to trouble. It leads to a loss of memory, awareness and consciousness in humans. So the people's voice will become the foundation of society, of political and educational systems. Interdependence, the time has come for the leaders to recall their armies and satisfy the needs and demands of their people. Basically, these are for peace, happiness and security. Okay, look, thanks, Peter, and thanks, Shafia. Uh, once again, we've had a really nice little chat around some of the things that concern us. We are Emergence News. I'm going to finish up with a nice comment from Desmond Tutu. Despite all the ghastliness that is around, human beings are made for goodness. The ones who ought to be held in high regard are not the ones who are militarily powerful, nor even economically prosperous. They are the ones who have a commitment to try and make the world a better place. Thank you. <laughs>